Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. What a way to start the show with my favourite song of all time. Shot, Logan. You know how to energise me. I know a thing or two about you, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Uh, Smithy's still cut off from the universe down there in Havelock North. I don't even know if he can listen in because power and things like that. I think you've been in touch with him, Logan. I have via his... Son's girlfriend's cell phone. He texted me last night. Sounds like it's all right, but yeah, uh, they haven't had power for basically all of yesterday. So don't know where they're at at the moment, but it doesn't sound too good in Hawke's Bay, does it? Does not. And my sister's down there as well and just heard from her for the first time in 48 hours about an hour ago. Um, basically stuck in a motel in Havelock North. Um, left Papa Moa, put all of her outdoor furniture and rubbish bins and everything in the garage and sealed everything up thinking that was going to get hit, went to Hawke's Bay for work and got hit even worse there. So I want you to share your stories with us actually for the first half hour. Um, We've got an amazing community here at SENZ and uh, part of the morning's effort, and of course I'm Staffy, sitting in for Smithy, um, tell us how we can can help. Um, I remember it was quite amazing when the floods hit west coast and the top of the south island in Blenheim and I particularly remember uh, Graham of Marlborough, formerly of Northland um, said how um, important it was for him to hear the messages from all of you around the country so share your stories if you're a business that's been affected by this horrific cyclone Gabriel but you're still able to operate online we want to help you we're part of we're in this together while I personally haven't been affected by floods or damage or trees coming down where I live um, I know so many of you are so if you've got a little bit of advice or you want to give a shout out to people that might be affected let's use our community spirit here on SENZ just to share that message businesses out there if you need a hand just ring us and we'll give you a shout out Ring ring us tell us who your business is, how you can help. You might be you might be a business that could help in a way that I haven't even thought of. Um, 
like secondhand places, um, cleaning places. How can you help? Um, I'm really keen to hear from any of you on 0800 150 811, or if you'd prefer to text 8833, which is the temper bedpost text machine. Um, love to hear from you as well on that. Um, you're on the mornings with Ian Smith, Mark Stafford in for you. Show brought to you by Brent. They are your local John Deere equipment supplier. So get all your good John Deere equipment and there's probably going to be a fair bit of it employed in this cleanup as well. And the great thing about John Deere equipment from Brent is it's not going to break down. It'll jump in and it'll do the job for you. So give us a yell 0800 150 811. Um, share any thoughts you've got, any assistance or shout outs, whatever it is. That's what we want to do this first half hour. Uh, we talked to Joey in Auckland. G'day, Joey. Yeah, g'day, Steph. Look, my heart goes out to everybody that's been affected by this. Um, I live in Auckland, and I've, we've been very lucky, but, um, you know, the devastation and that is just absolutely terrible. And, um, you know, and I know we've lost a couple of lives, which is very sad as well, you know. It's, it's really hard, but as Kiwis, we're, we're, we're a tough lot. And, uh, you know, we, we bond together really, really good when times come like this. I know everyone else does around the world too, but, um, you know, especially us Kiwis, we've, we've got hearts of gold. And I just feel uh, sorry for everyone that's been affected by it. And, um, you know, I hope everything comes right for them. I mean, I, I go around doing um, carpets and that, uh, measuring carpets every day, you know, and I've come across uh, floods and, and everything. And I tell you what, a lot of, uh, a lot of the, um, the, the people, staff have... Um, They've rallied around and, and, and they've cleared all the, the carpets away and everything when I get there, you know, just to do the measures, which is fantastic. Um, so everyone's working really, really hard and it's, it's really tough. Um, but, you know, uh, we can uh, only, um, as I say, feel sorry for everyone that's been affected worse than what we are. You know, like you said, you've been lucky too, you know. And uh, I say to everybody, I'll care car, be strong. And uh, I just hope everyone's uh, safe and well. Good man, Joey. Really appreciate the call, and I know other listeners will as well. Thanks, buddy. Joey out of Auckland. Yeah, here's the thing: like the community spirit, it's it's a dichotomy actually. It's really strong in times like this. I remember when we first went into lockdown, and everyone had everyone's backs, and it always saddens me in a way that it takes a disaster or adversity to bring a community together to support each other so there's lessons to be learned in that that I think we're, we can always be a community and um, our radio community um, I roll into work every day to talk to you guys and and I I thrive on it you know so do what Joey did give us a call on 0800 150 811 and um, you know Joey's in the carpet business by the sounds of things and uh, he'll be seeing he'll be busy I just read this morning that 300 people have been rescued off rooftops in Hawke's Bay 300 people from rooftops it's alarming Um, Steve McIver showed me a video that Greg Murphy had sent him from a helicopter doing an aerial scout over Hawke's Bay. It's Lake Hawke's Bay at the moment. It's yeah. it's it's just unfathomable what the number of people affected. Um, it's so far-reaching. Originally, we thought it was going to be Northland, Auckland, Coromandel, and it spread its tentacles all the way down. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that's the scary thing because, you know, those regions you mentioned were in a red alert like that a red warning places like Hawke's Bay were in orange I mean, I, it does beg the question whether they perhaps should have been in, in red but I mean it's so hard to say in these kind of situations but I mean 
I have a lot of family in Hawke's Bay in Smithy as well, you know, you're always trying to hear from them. And it's really hard at the moment because of cell phone reception, internet being down, power being down. Even sometimes landlines, you know, a landline may need power, may not, but sometimes you still can't get through. Mm. And like in the Tarradale area, Tarradale area, it's quite big for a suburb. Uh, the Napier Mere was on the news last night. And, you know, they had to evacuate a lot of people out of that area. That's a huge operation. Mm. So, you know, massive kudos to everyone who is getting stuck in there, the army, whoever else is getting involved because, like, first responders in that kind of situation, they're just, I mean, they're golden. Like, you mm. need those people. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I know I speak probably for a lot of people here where I say, you know, thank you for everything that you're doing out there because it can't be easy. And especially, I mean, I feel when you – I feel it sucks when you hear stories of, like you know, like firefighters going missing and stuff. Because ultimately, they're the bravest of the lot. Mm. And the thing you've got to remember too is while the waters will subside, um, probably reasonably quickly, the cleanup is massive. Um, you know in the regions you're at the places that have been affected the most. If you've been unaffected like me, um, go and give them a hand in, in the next few days. This weekend, just you know the areas that have been affected and just go and knock on a door and say, mate, Here's a bunch of sandwiches, here's a cup of coffee, here's whatever. Um, I've got a broom, I've got a shovel, anything I can do for you because Kiwis are a humble bunch um, and what for whatever reason a lot won't ask for help. I know I know. speaking to Dave Latelli who does such a tremendous work um, even before the floods and, and, and things, he, he said the biggest obstacle is people don't ask for help but they're very grateful when you offer it. So we're not going to change that behaviour, but let, let's go out and help some people. So that's what we want to do here today is offer you our phone lines, offer you our text lines to come in. If you're in a situation, um, we just want to help. We're a conduit for information spreading because you can only ring one person, but if you ring us, you'll get to thousands. So our number is 0800 150 or the temp bed post text machine is double eight double three. And a big thanks to Joey who sent through his thoughts. Uh, Michael's also texted through saying, um, "Where are we?" He says, "I'm from Wellington, and my thoughts are with everyone in the North Island, and we will get through." And that's the thing: we will get through, but there'll be some incredible um, psychological damage, property damage, financial damage, and um, there's, there's people out there without a big Fano network, a big friends network um, that won't know where to turn. So um, we want to be here for those for those people. Um, Richard sent through Enter Staff Man. Yeah, that's my song, mate. Uh, Michael Holsworth, what do you think of the Super Rugby announced law innovations? We'll get to that. We will get to that, Michael. So I guess um, if you're affected, we are thinking of you. It's it's hard when you haven't been affected yourself to fully equate the uh, mental toll it's going to take over you for the next few days. But I know this weekend I'll be heading into Mangari or Manyariwa with a broom, with a shovel, um, and you, you just drive around and you'll find somewhere and go and give them a hand because people power and just the fact that you've gone and turned up to go and give them a hand um, – We'll just give a morale boost to those people that need it. So, yeah, if you're a business or you're a person struggling or you just want to give a shout-out of support, um, 
give us a yell and, or a text message and uh, we'll happily share those across our network. Um, just telling you what else is coming up on the show today. Um, Billy Fraser is going to join us just after 9.30. Of course, he was over here for the New Zealand Grand Prix Series and the, and the meeting at Manfield as well. Not great results on the track, but um, allowing us into the inner sanctum of what goes into racing in a Grand Prix was something I will never forget. Now, Billy's just got back to Indianapolis, back to college, and uh, so we're going to catch up with him. Um, Billy Fraser, he's about 9.30. Uh, I've got a multi, which I got undone yesterday by an ice hockey game, but we won't worry about that. I won't put ice hockey in again. Uh, Lee Ellis, he is what we call a pickup basketballer. So a pickup basketballer is someone who just turns up to a neighbourhood basketball court um, and says, can I have a game? So he's, he's a long-time analyst for ESPN. He had... Uh, a, a very successful, widely listened to podcast called No Dunks. He did that for 10 years and then he just stepped away. His latest challenge is he's going to play 20 games of pickup basketball in 20 cities in 20 different countries. He's ticked off five. He's about to embark on his next five, so looking forward to catching up with Lee. Um, Bella Vogel, New Zealand Ice Ferns rookie. Um, she was right up to her neck in landslides and effects of of the Cyclone as well. Uh, Logan's going to catch up with her. I think you have caught up with her. We're going to play that out. Yeah, I played the, I talked to her last night before the um, hurry to the airport, and they their flight last night got cancelled, oh. uh, but they are on their way now to South Africa via Dubai because they were able to get out this morning. You know, things have eased a little bit. But, yeah, amazing story. I've already put up one of the photos uh, on our Twitter, at uh, SNZ Mornings, of Bella just going through the muck and the landslides through at Beth- jungle yeah. at Bethel's, um, mm. basically shown up and there's you know diggers everywhere and she's trying to get out <laughs> to go and play for the uh, ice ferns. That is brilliant. Uh, we'll have a quick catch up with Louis Herman Watt for our love racing update. We have an update from the TAB as well with Pitt Morris uh, Kane Pittman. He's a basketball reporter and podcaster for ESPN Australia. Of course, the NBL finals are underway. We've got the Kings against the Taipans, and of course, the Breakers are travelling to Tasmania to take on the Jack Jumpers, which I think was their that was their home court when we were during COVID. I think was the Jack Jumpers court, wasn't it, Logan? Tasmania w- was kind of their home base in a home way. Away yeah, from home, yeah, yeah, but. Uh, Hasn't been a good stomping ground for the Breakers. The last time they played there was, uh, I think it was Boxing Day. Mm. Uh, they went a bit of a heavy defeat there, so they're looking to turn their fortunes around and book their ticket for the grand final. Cool. So that's just after 11, an NBL update. Um, we'll check in with Andy Thompson. Of course, the Rural Roundup will be today 12 to 1 on half our frequencies. The other half will stay here from 12. Uh, stumped by me, not likely, uh, based on my form yesterday. Jeepers, uh, that's at about 11.30, you know that. And then Chris Gibbs, the Hurricanes assistant coach, um, we'll catch up with him just before we head away and hand over to Stephen McIver, who's running my show uh, from 12 to 3 today. And then, of course, 3 to 4 is running it straight. So a bunch of variety for you all today here on SCNZ Um the Mornings crew, they they caught up with Gary Stead. Um, all of the interviews, go and check our podcast uh, channels, um, either on the SCNZ app or Apple or Spotify or 
what's the other megaphone? All all these sorts of places. Just go and check out the interviews. There's there's some absolute rippers. Right, we will take a break, and on the other side of this, we're gonna we're gonna have a look at a few of the headlines that have come out over the last twenty four hours. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Easy, 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 easy sports desk cross. With our roving reporter, Logan Swinkles. <laughs> well, I was roving, was it yesterday? No, the day before, I literally went outside the building, took the microphone, inspected the puddles. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't know how it went for radio, but uh, it was, you know, it was fun. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, obviously, there's a lot going on on the sports desk. One really cool thing. Uh, it's it's Christmas Day for golf fans. Smith, uh, I almost called you Smithy. <laughs> That's all right. I'll, I'll let you do that twice an hour. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is Christmas Day for golf fans. You, you know why? Because Full Swing, the series that tracked probably the most craziest year in professional golf, lands on Netflix today. I'm not sure what time yet. I imagine in previous when the Michael Jordan series came out. Uh, the last dance, I think it released sort of about 7pm New Zealand time, so good watching tonight, but uh, here's a little taster. Every year, all these guys fight for their career. If you're going to be a professional golfer, you have to accept the fact that it's just going to be a wild ride. You don't know what's going to happen. I might win 50 more times in my career, I might win zero. Like, that's just the reality. The PGA Tour consists of almost 50 tournaments a year. You win tournaments, you can make millions. You lose, you walk away with nothing. I'm gonna punch you in your ribs. You told me on Tuesday you're gonna make a million dollars. You picked a hell of a year to start following the PGA Tour. <laughs> the highs are really high and the lows are really low and live somewhere towards that top. You have a pretty phenomenal career. Our first couple of years together, he was winning left and right, but I do worry about the future. You win two majors of your first eight tries. I want them all. You want to win a major, you got to have faith and trust in all parts of your game. I would tell anyone that would listen that I was going to be the best golfer in the world. That's all I want, just win. It's win or go home. There is a power struggle going on in golf. You've got this existential threat to the game of golf in the Saudi-backed league called Live Golf. They're throwing astronomical money at people, and everything's got a price, I guess. I understand I'm going to get shipped for it, and I'm totally cool with that. Straight up, are you going to live? The PGA Tour is the best place to play golf, but the game needs to be pushed forward. It's competition at the end of the day. They want to step on my throat, I want to step on theirs. Don't worry about me, you just play your game, man. Oh, I'm fizz, Steph. There's stuff in that trailer right at the end that I cannot hear. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Colin Murakawa, Brooks Kepka, Scotty Scheffler, Ian Poulter, one of the more famous defectors to live golf, Rory McIlroy, one of the biggest defenders, probably the biggest defender of the PGA Tour, Dustin Johnson, Tony Finau, 
Oh, what a cast. There's more than that. I wish Cameron Smith was on it so badly, but it's going to be such a great watch. It's um, it's going to do for golf what Drive to Survive did for Formula One. He's hoping. Yeah, well, I absolutely think it will. Um, we saw it with Breakpoint with um, the tennis one as well. Um, and just, it can change opinions on people. I think it did for Nick Kyrgios. You could see him off the court because all we'd ever seen of Nick Kyrgios was on the court and his antics. When mm. you got to see him away with his crew, with his girlfriend, and that, he's actually just a normal sort of bloke that <laughs> gets white line fever, you know, like John McEnroe used to. Golf, one, one of the best sports books I've ever read is called A, a Good Walk Spoiled, and it was uh, behind the scenes of the PGA Tour through the eyes of caddies and golfers, and it's a long. T- it's an old book. You know, it was in the days of Freddie Couples on the PGA Tour, etc. Who's now entrenched on the seniors tour. But lifting the lid on something you never see, like we have watched as sports fans a truckload of hours of golf. You know the Masters, the Majors, the PGA Tour, uh, Foxy on the DP World Tour, um, Stephen Elka, but we only see inside the ropes. Mm. Now we're going to see behind the ropes and it will be fascinating. And I've just checked on Netflix. It's there. It's not released yet. It says coming Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Um, And there's a couple of little trailers on there ready to go. So I've set it as a reminder. So if it goes off during the show saying it's here, I'll let you know, Logan. But (laughs) I'll be watching that tonight. Yeah, that's me tonight as well. Uh, Also exciting news. We've been following the situation uh, across the ditch with the NRL, NRLW, the Players Association, (laughs) the collective bargaining agreement, wondering if lockouts and stuff are going to happen. We still don't know on that but what we do know is that there has been an agreement with the women's players, long time coming. Uh, it, one of SCN's very own, Jalissa Apps, has the details from Nine News. After months of negotiations, the NRL and the Players Association have finally settled on financial terms for the NRLW. For the first time, female players will be contracted for the entire year and just like the men will be able to sign multi-year contracts. The salary cap will go up from 350000 in 2022 to 900000 this season, jumping to $1.5 million by 2027. There will also be support for pregnant players and parents. Um, what we're also making sure that we prioritise in the women's agreement is their ability to secure employment outside of just having a uh, NRLW contract. So some good steps there, Steph, in terms of the salary cap. They're looking at an average, this is in Australian dollars, uh, 37.5 per player. Uh, and when it goes up to that more $1.5 million in 2027, they're looking at 62500 So getting closer, uh, I think there's still quite a gap there. But, I mean, you know, same thing happened with the AFLW, right? You have to start somewhere and mm. grow and build on that. So great step there for the NRLW, and now there's the potential that there's going to be expansion coming as early as 2025. A lot of teams interested to get two more teams in there. Of course, uh, the Warriors, Wahini, would be high on that agenda, I'd imagine. Very much so. Very, very much so. And and I'm pleased for NRLW. Like, it wasn't all about money. Yes, the money's improved, but it's um, support support for players' injuries, support through pregnancy, um, long-term contracts, multi-year contracts. So there was an easement by the NRL, which is just fantastic. And there's always that argument of you need a better product to bring more money in. Well, now they can afford to train more have better players, the product will improve, 
it's uh, perpetual motion. I, I think it's great. But um, for now, we're going to take new sport and weather. And on the other side, Billy Fraser. Billy Fraser Racing raced at the Grand Prix uh, about 10 days ago. Um, so let's catch up with him. He's back in Indianapolis. He'll be right after the news. Billy Fraser. Well, I've been waxing on what a wonderful time I had at Hampton Downs last weekend. It was just brilliant. Never been to the venue before, but very lucky as uh, sponsorship partners of Billy Fraser Racing, and we got to be up close and personal. And joining us uh, is the man that led that charge, uh, Billy Fraser. Welcome in, buddy, from the US. Hey, hey, mate. Thanks for having me. Um, first of all, just thanks heaps for the last weekend. I know you're a very re- results-driven driver, and that's why you've got to where you got. Tricky old weekend for you last weekend, though. How do you package that up and um, surmise it? Yeah, for sure. It was um, not, not quite the results I would have liked. Um, I'm really glad to hear that you had a, had a fantastic time. I, I'm sure... Um, most most of our sponsors did we um we did we did a great job and yeah for me it's uh it's been a week now so I've been able to reflect and like like any sport like any situation you know you figure out the things you you can do better next time but uh in reality hindsight's twenty twenty so yeah for me I, I'm back in the US now um I'll uh, I'll learn from from what I did it was it was still a fantastic weekend you know and racing against some of the um you know best best talent junior talent in the world so i'm not not too phased by it we'll regroup and yeah getting ready for the next race now one thing for me that i experienced from that weekend billy was your whole weekend lives and dies on your qualifying performance which is even before it all kicks off in earnest and there doesn't seem much opportunity for you to improve your your grid and when you're all in pretty much the same cars and there's not a lot of passing goes on do you feel like there's too much importance maybe on qualifying and not being rewarded for improvement in times as the weekend progresses? That's a that, that's a really good point. And you know, the for the for the Grand Prix, there was a slightly different layout of, of qualifying sessions. You know, usually you'll have one on one on Saturday and, and one on Sunday in this championship. Uh, the first qualifying, um, you know, setting the grid for race one, and the, the second qualifying on the Sunday setting your your uh, your grid for for race three and. Yeah, like you said, that's uh, sort of to reward your, your improvement throughout the weekend. Uh, that wasn't the case in, in this um, for, for the Grand Prix, which you know put us on the back foot. Uh, I'm not quite sure what happened in our qualifying performance, but yeah, you were holding the the, the grid board at the back of the field, which, which wasn't our plan. Um, <laughs> definitely deserved to, to be a little bit higher up than that. Uh, and and yeah, the the racing, uh, especially in these cars with the the high downforce, you know, there's a lot of aero. A lot of dirty air is what, is what, as we call it. You know, it's, it is hard to pass. Your, your aerodynamic, aerodynamics are limited when you are behind the car in front. So, I um, in, in that Grand Prix, you know, that last race, I think I was was running as high as thirteenth, fell back to fifteenth, and yeah, I would have loved to get those two guys in front of me. Um, yeah, I, I felt that I was faster than them, but yeah, just uh, 
just with the, the nature of the track, if those straights were a little bit longer or, you know, a couple of the corners just a little bit more open, it, it does improve the racing. But at the same time, it's the same for everyone. Um, and, yeah, you, you really have to put an emphasis on that qualifying session. Yeah, but without wanting to lose people in the technicalities, I did notice, like, you're you unbelievable starter. I think you passed five cars within the first lap, um, and you mentioned to me your strength was turn one and two, but I think it was turn five and six. Um, not so strong. Is that car set up? Is that uh, because one and two fitted your eye? Why Why were you good in those corners? That's, that's another great point, and, and, and it does probably come down for a little bit of car control. Um, I, I've been fortunate enough to, to be racing in the US for the, the last two seasons, and you know, you pick up a little thing uh, here, here and there, and, and, and particularly, you know, learning to, to cope with the downforce. That's that's a major major part of, of racing, especially in these cars with the with the wings and slicks. So you know, turn one's a, a fairly high speed corner, and, and just having that ability to, to trust the car, and same with two, you know, that that maximising the the braking. You know, how how late can you brake? Having that trust in the car, but yeah, there's a couple of corners out there where. It was. Um, it's almost the other end of the spectrum. It's 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 aggression. It's, it's being able to not necessarily trust the car, but but force the car around. And and yeah, I struggled a little bit with that. Potentially, um, we could have done a little bit more and set up. But you know, the HL HL uh, HML team did a, did a great job. You know, Luke and I, we um, we knew our strengths. We we were working to them. And, and unfortunately, we didn't we didn't quite get there uh, in the Grand Prix. I'd probably say that um, that we were a lot closer. Um, Especially with uh, with the physicality of the driving, we, we'd set the car up in a way where I was able to to attack those you know aggressive corners. Uh, and yeah, re- regarding the starts, it's um it's it's my favourite time of the race to be honest. It's um it's when everyone's close together, together you know, bit of nerves, cold tyres, and yeah, it's it's something that a lot of people overthink. But you just you just have to attack it and and take your chances. There's a uh, there's no real like like any sport, you know. There's no real premeditation. You can sort of anticipate what's going to happen, but at the end of the day, you just got to put your car in the in the right places and and fill those gaps. One thing I wanted to bring to the listeners' attention was um, I was in the garage when you finished the Grand Prix, and you unzipped your suit, you took your your mesh gear off, and you just dropped your leather, <laughs> leathers down. To the mate, mate, you were sweating rivers. I've never seen someone yeah. so drenched. Can you tell us about the, <laughs> the physicality and the impact on your body for, for that race? Yeah, so um, I, I think we were, we, were, we were pretty lucky. You know, the, the weather had been rubbish um, most, most of the week. It was, it was rubbish through practice, you know, um, we, to the point where we were, we were missing a few sessions. But, you know, Saturday and Sunday, that, that heat really, really cranked up. And, and as a driver, you know, you're wearing a helmet. You know, all your breath is, is only got reaching you know three or four millimeters off your face you're you're wearing two or three layers of um of fireproof gear you know it's it's not light and you, you're strapped into the point where you, where you can't really move you know fireproof socks even so there's there's no real way for that heat to escape your body and then you, you throw in the fact that there's a 310 horsepower engine you know a couple of centimeters behind you you know it, it just really exaggerates the heat um you know there, there's a lot of ways in which the heat can really get to you so over over 28 laps i, I think it was a about a 45 minute race it's uh it's a long time to be in um you know wearing wearing a couple of a couple of puffer jackets you know let alone try to, to muscle this race car around the track 
during that 45 minutes, do, do you do you ever have a time where you think, man, I'm hot? It's, uh, it's something that you don't want to think about. It's um, it, it, it's one of those those things that, that can quite easily get in your head. Uh, for sure, I think I had that, that moment, probably five five or six laps from the end, uh, kind of relate back to um, my, my engineer. You know, he, he, he was counting me down the laps, doing, doing a great job, but but every single lap, you know, the, the numbers only going down by one. It's like it's like counting the minutes at the time. <laughs> the time goes slower. So, yeah, I um, there's probably a few moments, you know, you can just feel the the sweat, um, you know, drip, dripping on your forehead, you know, dripping sort of past your vision. And and I am a particularly sweaty guy. Uh, so <laughs> there was a lot of electrolytes, a lot of um, hydration throughout the weekend. But yeah, it, it's one of those those factors that 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 make you an athlete. You know, it's um. Racing a car for sure is um, is a sport, and, and anyone who says otherwise, I say go and race twenty eight laps of the New Zealand Grand Prix. <laughs> How do you stay focused? Like as we mentioned, you were midfield, you know, thirteenth, fourteenth, and it was obvious obvious for a while to you. Uh, you're a realist. You, you're not going to win the Grand Prix. How do you stay hungry and fighting when you're in spot thirteen, fourteen, fifteen? Well, the thing the thing that's fantastic about racing, you know, is, is anything can happen. It is um, you, you've just got so much uncertainty. Uh, we didn't have a safety car in our Grand Prix, you know, and over over the weekend, to be honest, I think the only safety car was me, <laughs> which which was it wasn't good after after getting you know taken out in the in the second race. But you know, it, all it all it takes is the the field to get recompressed after the safety car coming out after someone having a crash and. You know that that P thirteen can you you you're right up. You know you're you're back within ten meters of the leaders, um, no, no matter what. So it's it's just making sure that you're always on top of it. Um, our, in in my team, you know, we, we had a great atmosphere where you know we we knew we were we were right in it until you know the checkered flag comes out. It's uh, you can um, it takes or what's what's the saying? You know, you can't win a race in the first lap, but you can certainly lose it. Um, you know, and that and that refers back to. You can't win a race until the last lap. I think that's the other way to look at it as well. So you're back in the states. Are you back studying? Um, what, what's the last few days been like for you? Yeah, the, the last few days has been been really busy, but it's um, it's good to be back in Indianapolis. Uh, so, like like I might have mentioned before, I'm I'm up um, at, at Purdue uh, School of Engineering, doing um, a mechanical engineering and a motorsport engineering degree in Indianapolis. So it's. Uh, it's really, it's really cool up here, um, and and just through. I'm in my second semester, and, and so far it's uh, it's been quite interesting learning the more technical side of the sport that I that I've grown up with. Uh, my my eyes are still on getting um, you know, something organised to to be you know behind the wheel uh, in the car, but in the meantime, you know, today it was pouring down with rain. Reminded me of Auckland. Uh, I think it was about two or three degrees. So there's no there's no chance of. Um, of being on the racetrack, so so with that, it's uh, it's a great way to, to keep myself involved in the racing environment. You know, you're, you're meeting people. Um, there's, I think, there's 150 kids in my class, and you know, of, of my year doing motorsport engineering, and you know, that that's all potential contacts one day. So for me, it's um, it's a great way to keep myself busy up here with um, with motorsport front of mind. 
Well, brilliant, Billy. Awesome to catch up with you. Just on behalf of SCNZ, we were, um, you know, we jumped on board as sponsors of you, and and I'm sure I speak on behalf of all of us at SCNZ, and also the cool people that I got to mix and mingle with for the weekend. You know, the Celebration Box people, the Jayco people, uh, Neil Allport stopped by and had a chat to us as well. Um, it was a really, really cool experience, and to me, it showed you don't have to win races to get a lot out of a sponsorship partnership. Um, you're very welcoming, you and Lance and all of the crew from Hamilton Motorsport. It was it was really one of my highlight weekends and um, we didn't need to win a race to be felt like we were right in amongst it so thanks for throwing the garage open for us and uh, giving us the pit boards and um, your, your family's awesome and your friends are awesome and uh, I really hope we can do it all again one day Yeah thanks mate me too I, I really appreciate it I'm, I'm glad you guys had a, had a great time and yeah it, it's one of those things that as a driver it makes me more hungry um, you know it has been a couple of days reflecting on it, uh, a couple of tough days reflecting on it, but yeah, hearing stuff like that, that really means a lot. So glad you enjoyed it. And yeah, I'll, I'll keep working hard and, you know, practicing training and, and see what we can come up with, you know, whether that's next year or, or later this year. Awesome, Billy. You go well. All the best in Indianapolis. Thanks, mate. Talk soon. The two are my great mates, and wowee, they run a loose cutter on the run home. Kirsten Beave. Catch them weekdays from 4 on SCNZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. You got to know when the hold Know when the fold Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yes, tab.co.nz or the app. That's where you get all the insights, so download the TAB app today. Uh, A quick reflection on yesterday. Uh, The Knicks to beat the Nets at $1.72. Tick. PSG versus Bayern Munich to draw at three sixty. It's half time in that at the moment, nil all. Little tick. Maybe tick. Pencil tick. Calgary to beat Ottawa. Cross. 4-3 to Ottawa. Just skunked. So we go to today. The NBL playoffs. We'll be talking uh, on the show, previewing the two games that are coming up. One tonight, and of course both games will be live on SENZ here if you want to tune in and listen to the Sydney Kings taking on Cairns, where the Sydney Kings will win at $1.32. Uh, today in the NBA, Portland Trailblazers, I think they'll beat Washington at $1.65. And then overnight, middle of the night, in the T20 Women's World Cup, in the power play, oh, it's not a power play, it's just that one of the options, um, India against West Indies, who will have the highest opening partnership? I'm taking India. They've got a supreme opening combination, $1.87, you can choose either one. I'm taking India to have the highest opening partnership at $1.87. And I don't know whether Logan's put that into the sausage machine to tell us how much it's going to pay. <laughs> Do you want to learn how this sausage is made, yes. people? All right, the total is $4.04. Let's call it $4. And you know what? At first, I wasn't big on your tip of going with the Sydney Kings over the Kings Taipans because the Kings haven't done well in the last couple of weeks leading into the finals, whereas Kings have they've been an exciting team. But I was thinking perhaps that's because the Kings they already had top spot uh, sewed up, and maybe they're just going to you know take it easy. Mm, it's showtime. And now. then I saw a headline: 
Taipan star DJ Hog sent a warning to the kings. You know what the warning was? Oh, no. I hope I shoot better. <laughs> Look out, Sydney. <laughs> Jeez, you won't want to take that rooster on. So there we go. Sydney Kings to beat Cairns. Portland Trailblazers to beat Washington. And India to have the highest opening partnership in their T20 World Cup match against the West Indies. India to have the highest opening partnership of the two, and that's $1.87. I thought they'd be quite warm favourites. They're not, so that's why I'm taking it. We'll take a break, and we'll wrap it up towards the top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. On SCNZ. Welcome back in. We go straight to the phones. We've got 90 seconds. Kevin from Titarangi, welcome in. Good morning, Smithy. How you doing? Oh, Staffy, how are you, mate? How I'm, are you? I'm great. I was just going to let that slide. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just on, just just quickly, um, in New Zealand cricket, they're talking about you know the team and, and the depth coming through. Well, whose fault's that? You know, you've, you've got an aging team up the top now, but you've also got aging players on, on the second tier. You know, 27, 28, 29, or getting getting to that stage. Yep. Um, and there was a guy called um, uh, Rickson that came out here and coached New Zealand years ago, and he said, "I don't want to hear your problem that you don't have depth." You have to create depth from under 17s, 18s, 19s and have it like a conveyor belt, ready to go, ready to go, ready to go. And we we don't seem to be doing that, not at all. Yep, um, fair comment. And, and I think these guys that are you know, they're getting to go now, some of them are just um, are good club cricketers, you know. They're, they're getting black cap caps and they probably don't, they wouldn't deserve it in, in, in a real good time, but they're getting a chance and they're not our best. Mm. You know, they're, they're going to come up some, against some good players and we're going to get caught out. Sure, right. Kevin, we have to scoot because we've got the news hard coming up in 10 seconds, but thank you for your call. Straight on the other side of the news, Lee Ellis, the pickup basketballer that's travelling the world, taking on pickup games. We'll catch up with him. He's targeting 20. It'll be an interesting chat. And are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, something a little bit different now for you. This guy is doing something that I could never dream of doing. I'd probably do it in golf. He's doing it in basketball. His name's Lee Ellis. 20 games of basketball, 20 countries, 20 cities. Sounds like a dream. Lee Ellis, welcome in. Thanks very much for having me, Mark. Um, Probably better known for your No Dunks podcast that was part of some big basketball stables, thousands of episodes that you put in basketball, and you walked away. You, you walked away from broadcasting and from podcasting. You're a, you're a very well-known name in NBA circles for people that consume uh, basketball content. Can, can I ask why you walked away from that? 
Yeah, I, I, uh, I've been doing the, uh, the sort of podcast analyst TV role for about 11 years um, and following the game for honestly like, well, probably close to 30 years following it. And I just sort of, uh, I, I, I travel a lot with my family and whenever I travel, I try to find a game of basketball out on the street. I just That's just something I've always done. Even before I was married and had kids, I used to do that. And now with social media the way that it is, I would sort of go to a place, I was in Berlin and Barcelona and places like that, and people would say, well, man, if you ever come to my city, you know, you've got to come and play basketball, you've got to come and do this. And and I didn't think too much of it at first, and then I just got so many people from all over the world, uh, tons from New Zealand, actually, I've got to get down to New Zealand, make it like a three or four city stop, (laughs) but uh, from all over the world saying, come and do this. And I sort of said to my wife, I, I said, I mean, I, I, is this now these days the way that you know media is and, and the way that people can create their own content? Is this something I can really turn into a to an adventure? And you know, so it took a little bit of um, sort of going over the logistics of it and, and how it would work. And then we both realised, like, listen, if you want to give something like this a go, a bit of an Australian and a New Zealand attitude is like you just got to have a crack at things in life, you know. And and that's kind of where I got to, where I was like. All right, let's let's do it because it's not something you can do as a sort of part-time um, hobby or you know something you can be half in and half out. I think you have to go full on headfirst into these sorts of things. And so I decided it was now or never, and I, I decided I'd give it a go. So um, you know, I, I think it was sort of an idea that I didn't really come up with myself. It sort of was forced on me, like so many people giving me this in- encouragement and this um, inspiration that I could maybe do it. And I just realised, like. If you're going to do it, no one's going to come up and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you want to go out and do this? You've got to go and do it yourself. And uh, that's the decision I made. Happy with the decision? Oh, yeah, very happy. I mean, something like this, you don't. I, I don't think you do it and then three months later you say, you know what, scrap that, I'm going back to where I was. I think you've got to give yourself a good 12 to 18 months to give it a real chance to work. Um, and at that point, then if it's not working, and, and by not working, I mean if it's not getting any traction or interaction or engagement, then then I think the audience will tell you that. But I, I believe that um, it was like when I first went backpacking from, from out of home when I was in Australia when I was only 22. I remember after the first month, I felt a bit homesick and I was sort of thinking, oh, maybe I'm just going to go home and go back to my job. And then something sort of happened, something changed in me, and I was like, if you're going to do this, then give it a year or two. Give it some time for it to, to adjust and to, to be a new um, a new part of your life and then make a decision from there. But I, I just don't think you make a big decision like this and then backtrack after five minutes. I think you, you've got to get to a point where you've exhausted a few avenues and you fight a few shots. And, uh, you know, basically uh, th- that that's what I'm doing right now. Is I'm, I'm Any sort of idea that pops into my head, any sort of content creation idea that I can incorporate into this series, I'm going with it. Uh, and seeing how far it can take me. So I, I think, you know, when you when you actually get to that position where you're like, right, well, I decided I'm going to go and do this. I'm not going to give up until I really feel like I've given it my best effort. And uh, I'm only three months in. So I think I've got, I, I think I've got another probably 12 to 15 months before I'll have any sort of real idea as to whether or not it'll work. And, and it's one of those things, it's a work in progress anyway. You know, things don't usually give you a definitive answer straight away. It's, you learn from, uh, as you're going along, and, and that's what I found so far. You see, I, that's quite inspiring to hear because I think most of us are all um, hindered by 
preconceived boundaries of our lives and stay within our paddock and too scared to jump the fence and and go for it. So I'm just wondering what's happened to you in your life to be able to take. You know, this is a big chance. You got you got a wife and kids. I'd imagine you got a mortgage. You've yeah. got bills to pay. <laughs> what what what's what's happened or what's within you to be able to say I'm going to give it a crack? Well, as I was saying earlier, when I go back to when I first went backpacking, it was the same situation. I had a very comfortable job. I was living at home. You know, as a 22-year-old, you don't have too many stresses in life. You think you do at the time, but you don't. You know, I had no mortgage. I had no kids. So there was no one really who was who was at risk other than myself. Um, but then as I learned from living abroad and, and traveling around, it's like so many things happen in life if you go and make something happen. Now, it might not always go great. It might not always be perfect, but you, you learn. And it just gives you that sort of motivation to try other things. And then talking about my wife, I mean, I met her at a situation where Australia and New Zealand have that reciprocal agreement with the Canadian government. We get a one-year working holiday visa. And I got that. And I went to Canada. I had no I had no job. I had no girlfriend. And I was like, I'm just here for a year to have some fun, travel around, you know, pick up work as, as we tend to do. And then about six weeks or so after I arrived in Toronto, I met this girl and I said, all right, well, nothing, nothing serious because I'm not sticking around. You know, I'm leaving. We started seeing each other for the majority of the time I was there. And then when I had to leave, we started this long distance type of relationship. And it was, you know, I was about 30 at the time and she, she's pretty much the same age. She's two weeks younger than me. And we'd been apart for about, I don't know, six weeks or two months and we were planning to meet up. And I, I, even then I was like, look, this is, kind of a waste of time i mean there's no you can't really have a long distance relationship unless there's an end goal of being together and so in that sense i i actually proposed to her on the phone from a phone box in london (laughs) on on one of the old phone cards kids probably don't know what phone cards are these days but i had a phone card we were planning a little get together and then i sort of said to her at the end of the conversation because i thought she was going to say uh marriage is a bit of a big big jump you know big step in our relationship and I said so listen uh, you know I really like you and I think and the only way this is going to work if we get married so you know do you want to get married thinking she would say no and she's like yeah let's do it and I'm like oh okay well I guess I'm moving back to Toronto then so you know things things like that have happened where I've realized uh, if you wait for the timing to be right for things in life you often never do anything you, you've got to sometimes just create those situations and you've just got to almost ignore the timing and say if you want to do it then go for it and, and live with the consequences because Again, for the most part, I think, as you were saying earlier, we imagine the worst-case scenario. And the worst-case scenario for me right now is, oh, I'll never find another job in the NBA or anywhere again. It's like, well, of course I'll find a job if I need to. But again, if you really are going to give something a chance, then you've got to invest some time and effort and and, and money into it and see where it takes you. So I I just feel that that's where I am right now. I've I've had a few chances in life where where I didn't know what the outcome was going to be or wasn't what I was expecting. I've tried it anyway, and it's turned out pretty good. So hopefully uh, this will have a similar outcome. So you, you're, you're targeting 20 countries, 20 cities, very different cultures. Uh, you've ticked off a few so far. So where have you been so far? Yeah, so I started in Frankfurt, Germany, although that was actually unplanned because I was flying from Atlanta to Slovenia, and I had a delayed flight out of Atlanta. So I had 12 hours in Frankfurt. And I was like, well, I'm not just going to sit at the airport and complain about the airline. I went out and, uh, and found a basketball court, started shooting around, and had, a, had an incredible time. So I got a bonus city there in Frankfurt. Uh, from there, I went down to Ljubljana in Slovenia. I met up with Luka Doncic's dad, had a great interview with him, had a great dinner with him, incredible Slovenian barbecue that went for like five hours. 
I was drunk at the end of it, full of food. And, and uh, Sasha Doncic is like, yeah, drink more, drink more, eat more. I'm like, Sasha, I've got to get a bus at like six in the morning for Zagreb. I haven't packed that. He's like, come on, stay. And I'm like, i got to go. Anyway, from, uh, from Ljubljana, we went to Zagreb, uh, played down in, in Zagreb, in uh, Dubrovnik and Šibenik as well, two very, very uh, awesome places in Croatia. Then it was over to Belgrade in Serbia and down to Athens in Greece was where the first leg ended. So uh, all along the way, I, I, I mean, I bumped into Drazen Petrovic's mother in Zagreb as well, which was incredible. I wasn't didn't plan that, wasn't expecting to. She showed me around the museum dedicated to her son Drazen there. So uh, along the way already, I've, I've had you know some incredible experiences that I simply could not have imagined or prepared for because they happen just by traveling and by being in a situation that you, uh, you're out of your comfort zone there. So I feel very motivated and inspired by that. I mean, look, it's not all peaches and cream. There's certainly been a few obstacles and setbacks along the way. Uh, but again, I think you, if, you, if you think everything's going to be perfect, then you're kidding yourself. You've got to understand and, and, and roll with the punches as they come. Like the, like the delayed flight out of Atlanta, I was like, oh, my God, we're going to miss our connection to Slovenia. We did. And then they said, well, you've got 12 hours in Frankfurt. And I'm like, well, 12 hours is long enough to do something. And I ended up having a, a fantastic experience there in Germany. So do you literally, do you plan the courts you're going to go to or do you hit the city and then just cruise around, find a court and try and find a pickup game of ball? No, I do plan them in advance, uh, especially in Croatia because they had some of the most amazing courts. Uh, the one in Dubrovnik overlooking the Adriatic Sea is probably the most beautiful court I've ever seen in my life because Dubrovnik itself, is a magically beautiful place. All of Croatia is. But this one, with the sun setting over the sea and the backdrop there, it's just it's so perfect. So, and, and then in Belgrade, there's a really, really cool couple of courts inside, a, uh, inside the Belgrade fortress there, which is like an old castle. So you're playing inside a castle that's 2,500 years old. You're playing basketball. That, that's, that's really, really cool. <laughs> and then in Athens, I actually played two games because I picked up a bit of momentum along the way and people saying, well, I know you're coming to Athens, you've got to play at this court and this court. And and so I did. Uh, And I played it again at a couple of really good courts. One of them overlooked the city and the other one was just in a slightly different part of the town. But that's it. I mean, I I do have them planned, but I'm also very flexible. If someone says, hey, you've got to play at this court because of the scenery, then I I always try to fit it into the itinerary if I can. And uh, I'm, I'm heading to Cape Town here in a few weeks in South Africa, and there's apparently a couple of courts with Table Mountain in the back there, and apparently it's, it's really, really beautiful. So that's what I'm looking forward to uh, that, that's next up on the itinerary. So how do you pick, like, I understand you've had, like, thousands of invites. How do you pick which ones you go to? Well, so, for example, this trip works well timing-wise because the African countries that I'm visiting are in the Southern Hemisphere, so it's summertime right now. In the northern hemisphere, it's, it's, it's the middle of winter, so Europe is not really the place to go um, because I want to play outdoors as well. I don't want to play indoor courts, and so at the timing for South Africa, Zambia, and Kenya was really, really good. And then, and in addition to that, when I announced I was leaving the No Dunks guys, um, immediately three different people from uh, those countries said, "You've got to come to Africa." And so. I was able to say, okay, well, I've got interest in Cape Town, I've got interest in Lusaka, and then I've got interest in Nairobi. I can probably sort of, you know, plan those ones out to uh, make them all happen together. And so so that's what it is. I mean, ideally, I'd probably do five or six countries while I can there in Africa. But, uh, you know, I'm a father and a husband first, so I, I couldn't spend, I can't spend months away from my family uh, to try to do this. So I'm doing it all in about 
about 16 days I'll be on the road uh, or 16 days on the ground. Add a couple of travel days in there, so I'm gone for about 18 days. But uh, I've got some really exciting things lined up in those cities. Apparently, apparently, according to the Instagram direct messages, I'm I'm big in Zambia, so uh, I'm going to go and find out. <laughs> <laughs> Zambia. Can, can we talk about like um, the difference in? In courts and 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 hoops, like have you come across some of those? Um, I don't know if it's the right word to say those ghetto hoops where you have the the hard hoops and, and the chainmail nets that last forever. Yeah, are they all all over the place? How how different are the courts that you play on? Yeah, well, that's the other thing is so um, I like to experience those different courts and the different surfaces just to sort of explain the story to people and show you, show that again I'm not looking for like the perfectly manicured, like the best court you can play on. Because to me, the older ones tend to have a little bit more history to them, maybe a little bit more of a story behind them. So that definitely happened in Zagreb. I played on one that was uh, a bit of an ankle twister, that's for sure. But uh, it was a, a, a legendary historic one because it was where Drazen Petrovic first played for Sabona. So that was really, really cool. Um, and then the, the courts in uh, Belgrade, I, I mentioned they're inside the fortress that's two and a half thousand years old. But they were really well laid because they have in the summer these high uh, quality three on three tournaments. So the, the the quality of the courts and the rims and all that are actually really really good. So that made it fun to play on. And it's not just hard cement that you're playing on. It's that sort of spongy surface that you sometimes see in like kids indoor playgrounds. You know the ones where that. So if the kids hit the deck, they're not going to like break any bones or anything like that. It's it's a bit of a spongier surface that gives them a chance to. Uh, sort of bounce back up and get going. So that was the surfaces there. In Greece, uh, the ones I played on, they were they were actually just classic concrete ones. So uh, you have to be a little bit careful because that also tends to have a bit more of an impact on the joints, the knees and the ankles afterwards. So uh, by the end of the trip, I was like, oh, I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure how, how hard I'm going to run on these courts here. But uh, it, it turned out fine in the end because we, you know, again, the, the games aren't about trying to be some sort of street ball legend or anything like that. It's about just playing to have fun. So you, uh, I, I was on the. I spent the last two games pretty much on the perimeter, just firing away from uh, downtown. So I didn't do too much damage there. But the biggest difference, the biggest difference in the game quality is where I play here in the United States. It's it's all five on five full court when you have the numbers. Um, but that tends to be uh, also what happens is a lot of one on one within that. There's a lot of a lot of that uh, and one type of stuff where guys want to show off how, how good their handles are or whatever. But in the Balkans especially, they play a lot more three-on-three half-court. And three-on-three is actually much better to play pick-up basketball one because you're involved in almost every possession on the defensive end and on the offensive end. So in, in America here, sometimes, and I've played, you can go 10 possessions without even touching the ball because guys just come down and they're like, I'm just going one-on-one, I don't care. But in the Balkans, the ball just moves around and it really does zip around a lot more. So you've got to be paying attention. And uh, it's good because then you, you, you feel a bit more involved. Sometimes when you're playing five on five, you're like, why, why am I doing out here? You know, I'm not getting a shot. Or if I do, it's once every five or six possessions. So uh, it's, it's a lot more engaging when you are involved in, in so many more of the plays and possessions. We're talking to Lee Ellis, uh, well-known from the No Dunks podcast, who's travelling around the world uh, getting pick-up games. Last question, Lee. Do women join in? Do you have mixed games around the world? Yeah, that that is something that I've really been trying to uh, emphasise to the contacts that I've, I'm having out in Africa there, that I want to make sure that this is open to uh, females as well, because basketball is a, a game for both sexes. And uh, I don't want... Because um, I'm trying to turn this into a series, like a docu-series for Netflix or 
Amazon Prime or someone like that. And so I don't want it to for women to feel excluded or it's only a guy thing that we're out there playing basketball. It's, it's very much something that women are going to be a part of. And and uh, I'm also going to be doing a couple of clinics in uh, in Africa where I'm going to have boys and girls there as well, so that everybody feels involved and be a part of it. Because as I say, sport is for everybody, and basketball is one of those games where, uh, especially with the with the growth of the WNBA in the last five to ten years, that girls should feel just as uh, you know just as much invited and a part of this as guys do. So that's uh, that's something that I, I really. After the first trip, I learned that, again, for the first one, it was a learning experience. So a lot more guys came out, but uh, I'm hoping to have far more representation uh, from the females in this uh, in this second leg here. So I've also, I've, I've been very, very lucky. I've contacted some NBA teams that I know, and they've been very generous donating jerseys and shirts and, and all sorts of things that I'm going to have to give out to some of the players while I'm on these, uh, at these games. And so there's a lot of WNBA gear as well, and... Uh, I'm really excited for, for what could happen here in the next uh, on the next trip. It's um, it's it, I'm nervous, I'm anxious, but I'm also very very excited and, and looking forward to the experience. And finally, finally, how can we follow you? What's the best way for us Kiwis down here to follow this journey and, and, and catch up with where you are and what you're doing? Yeah, most of it. Well, all the content's going to be on Instagram and YouTube, and on Instagram it's just me Lee Ellis, my name L E I G H E L L I S. And then on YouTube, it's my name with 76 at the end. So it's the same there. Um, and I tweet that out as well. And I'm on, I'm like, I'm on TikTok. Uh, I'm not sure it's really the platform. I'm not sure it's really the platform for me. I, I was saying to you before, I can play basketball for, for two hours on concrete, not feel too old. I spend 10 minutes on TikTok and I feel like a grandfather. So, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, but yeah, look, it, it's great. And one last thing I will say, I've gotten tons of support, as I said earlier, uh, an invitation from, New Zealand uh, based people and I, I definitely uh, I plan on including it at some point here for a big trip so uh, I'm not, I haven't got dates or anything yet but it's certainly on the calendar mm. at some point Oh brilliant, well when you're in Auckland we'll get you in studio and you've you've probably done a bit more of your, your travelling and basketball is the biggest participation sport in New Zealand so you'll be very popular when you come here Lee. Um, oh that's great Yeah really appreciate you coming on, fascinating story and we'll definitely be following your, your trails and we'll catch up again in the future Yes, thank you very much for having me, Mark. The flight to Cape Town from there. And to get there, I mean, you've had quite an adventure. I mean, I mean, just today alone, I've seen some great photos uh, go up online of you just battling out to even get out of the, uh, you know, the aftermath left by Cyclone Gabriel. Whereabouts in Auckland was that? Um, so I live out at Bethel's Beach, which is between Piha and Uruwai, so it's quite a um, rural community where we've only got pretty much one or two roads in and out so when one or two of those uh, have slips or floods um, yeah that's when we're having to meet people at those slips to pass groceries over so we've done it before and it's happening again this time. Yeah it's been man it's been a wild couple of weeks uh, in the Auckland region that's for sure is, is your place okay? Yeah our house is fine um, had a bit of a restless sleep last night um, as there was some flooding happening out the back um, luckily we are on a hill so there were no slips on our property, but the flooding had started. So my dad and I were up every couple of hours trying to make sure that the water wasn't going to come inside. So we we're quite quite lucky that that didn't happen. Uh, now to get out to get out of Bethel's Beach, there you did it all in your slides too. How was that hike with your hockey bag and sticks? Um, well, I wasn't expecting to have to go through an actual landslide with mud <laughs> and sticks and rocks and all that. So I was in my slides expecting just to walk through um, flood water. Yeah, it was about up to my knees, mid thigh. Point. 
Um, so once I got through that, I was, yeah, pretty shocked to see a full-on landslide with a digger and mud, yeah, right up to my thigh. Wow. <laughs> I mean, from what I've seen, the Ice Ferns team, they'll do whatever it takes to represent uh, New Zealand on the world stage, including <laughs> having to go through landslides, it seems. But you do also have to raise money, you know, to get there, to get to South Africa. How much individually did you need to raise to get on that plane? And um, so uh, the cost of the total was uh, about four grand. And then, of course, on top of that, we had to pay for um, gear um, and also any spending money that we need over there. So, yeah, it was quite a yeah quite a big amount that we had to raise, especially um, the added cost of the uniforms and, and all that. Because I mentioned before that you're playing forward, you can play defense as well. You were originally announced as one of the reserves, but you've received the call-up. What was that moment like receiving the good news that you've made the Ice Ferns travelling squad for the first time? Uh, there were a few tears when I had the phone call from the, the coach, Jeff. I was absolutely stoked. Um, I knew that with COVID and then also um, just, you know, what's happening with the world, there would be, you know, the possibility was there. So I kept training and kept making sure I was keeping up to date with the team. And so when I got that phone call, I was like, this is it. I'm ready to go. Let's, yeah, let's do it. That's so awesome, man. That's so awesome. Uh of course, the Ice Spoons haven't been able to compete, you know, in the WHF events since the pandemic. Um, what are the excitement levels like around the camp for this one? Oh, we're super excited to get back on the, that world stage. And I know that every single girl has worked so hard to get here. Um, and I'm just, yeah, super excited because I don't know what I'm going into being a rookie. So it's even more exciting, personally. There is a lot of experienced hands uh, in this team. I'll go through them all and hopefully I don't miss any of them out because they all deserve uh, a shout out. And when you've got the likes of, you know, Helen Murray, Hannah Shields, Anjali Malari, Christy Woodyear-Smith, Ashley Richmond, and Jamie Jones, uh, been around this Ice Fern setup for over a decade. You've played alongside a few of them uh, with the Auckland Steel. So how invaluable has their leadership and experience been for you coming into this camp uh, for the first time? Oh, don't forget Lachlan on that one. I'm actually oh my gosh, Lachlan, don't kill me. Yeah. Once I got out of Brazil, so yeah, with all those girls, they're, they're, they're amazing players, they're great support on and off the ice, and it's, it's awesome to have that support around you and also, also to learn from them. Um, it's just basically a team of good mates, and that's what you want in a team. So without a centralised program and you know not being able to play the sport full-time in New Zealand, what have the preparations looked like leading up to the World Champs? Do you get to get together often you know, from around the country to work on you know things like line combinations and uh, strategies? Um, so we did the triple star camp in December, and that was the open invite to all players. So we're all mixed up. Um, but when when we had the squad announced and we went down in January, that's when we kind of started getting um, in the flow with each other and trying to work out what those lines would be. Um, and then also Ashley Richmond, she's put together this amazing program that we've all been sticking to for the past good three months or so, and it's really helped just that conditioning on and off the ice, and it's really helping everyone play. Yeah, and I mean, it's the first time, you know, getting back into it for a while. It is kind of hard for a New Zealand team to have international competition just because of how removed, you know, the country is itself from the rest of the competition. How are you feeling going going into this? I'm at the moment, I just I just want to get there. I just want, we just want to fly out. Um, but I know that all of us are so excited to, to be the iTunes again. It's been a while. It's been a good few years since, as you said, the dreaded C word. So um, we're all just so excited just to be a part of it and to do, do the best to make our country proud, our friends, our family, all the supporters. 
and really try to put you know the, the name of ice hockey out there, especially with girls and women out there. Yeah, we're not allowed to see the C word on on the station anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the moment will be like for you, say, come February twenty, when you're putting that ice ferns jersey on for the first time? To be honest, I think it'll actually be quite emotional. And um, when we did the little promotional um, introductions of each player, I mentioned in there that I've wanted this since I was first started in primary school. So <laughs> it's been a really long time that I've been working towards that. So for me to finally reach that is just yeah, it's just going to be a phenomenal feeling. Love that. I, I did read that quote and I saw how you've been dream- dreaming on this for so long. What What's the pride like from your family? How did they react? Oh, my, my family are my biggest supporters. I think my mum probably cried even more than I did when I got <laughs> announced on the team. Um, it, yeah, they've been obviously with me from day one, taking me to all those practices and training when I was in Peewees and under 16 and all that. So, and that they've seen how hard I've been working over the past few years to get to this point and to finally make it there. Yeah, they're definitely sharing that that feeling with me. Now, the rookie campaign can be quite a great learning experience as a player. So for you, what do you think you need to do to get the most out of this WHF Worlds to come home feeling like, you know, you've done yourself proud and the jersey proud? I'm just putting that full on 110% in it. It's, you know, being in the best, physical state and this mental state going to every training every game just pushing and and also just with the rookies it's also making sure we support everyone um whether that's decorating change rooms or carrying bags do what we got to do to to make everyone in the team feel special as well now this is something that i like to ask uh, all hockey players or coaches that i talk to because everyone has their own story how did you get into the sport of ice hockey in the first place um, so I actually started learning to play when I was with my brother. Um, I would have been, I don't know how old, yes, three years, like seven or eight or something like that. Wow. Um, and then I tried that out and I was like, mm, not really for me. So I actually went to figure skating. I did that for about three years and I was training up to my first competition. Um, and I actually fell and broke my arm. And then when I was in the cast, um, my brother actually got called up to the Auckland Reps for the first time. I think it was under 16. Um, so the full family, we did a trip down to Queenstown to watch the tournament and that's when I saw girls playing in this team for the first time as well and I just saw that and I was like, you know what, I know how to skate now, I'll give it another go and yeah, it's just been that way ever since I've never looked back. Yeah, I mean, because a lot of players come from like an inline hockey background but for you to come from figure skating, how do you think that's helped you? I think it really helped pick up skills quicker so I could focus more on the you know, stick handling, shooting and all that and the gameplay. I already had that foundation of the skating. Um, of course, I took a while <laughs> to get used to not having toe picks, but I think that's just better because toe picks was actually how I did my injury. Um, but yeah, uh, I did the figure skating definitely set me up, I think. Nice. So for the World Champs itself, uh, as I mentioned before, you're going to be up against Croatia, South Africa, Belgium, uh, and our friends across the ditch, Australia. When it comes to that level of competition, what have the coaches told you about those sides? Um, most of the time with all of our trainings, it's not really trying to compare ourselves against them. It's just trying to be the best that we can be and push ourselves without trying to do that comparison. Focus on, you know, just, just being at the peak that we can be. I do know that Australia is going to be a bit of a, a tough time. We've all got that in our minds. And luckily with the change in schedule, we've moved from facing Aussie first to facing Aussie last. So hopefully after we've had a bit of time like gelling together, We'll, yeah, really hope to give Aussie the run for their money. 
<laughs> I mean, we would all love to see that. I, I did notice that change in schedule, uh, Bella, and I assume that's to do with as Turkey had to pull out because of, uh, I mean, obviously all the everything going on there. Yeah, because of those earthquakes, and it's just a really bad time, so kind of can't really compare to cycling Gabriel to that. I mean, for those that don't know, New Zealand and Turkey, I mean, outside of obviously the historical standpoint, New Zealand and Turkey have a really good relationship on the ice as well, don't they? Definitely, and I think a lot of the girls are going to be really gutted that we're not playing them. I know that swapping jerseys and hoodies and, and uniform like that is quite a big thing, and I know some girls are looking forward to trying to do that with Turkey. Um, so, yeah, it's quite guttering they won't be joining, but it's totally understandable. On a different level of, you know, women's hockey, when you watch the Winter Olympics uh, and you see the likes of, you know, Hillary Knight, uh, Marie-Philippe Poulin doing their thing for USA and Canada and, you know, promoting women's ice hockey around the world, what does that do for your own, you know, inspiration levels? It's just amazing to watch women be at that level and, and to be able to, to play that kind of hockey that they did. I watched the the um, All-Stars and it's just amazing to see them again, like, you know, with the men and being on that that situation. It's just awesome to see and it's great to keep trying to push the sport out there. And so that's what we're really trying to do with um, Ice Ferns is definitely try to get some more of the girls through. The thing that I always love about those competitions when you have like the top tier women's players in like the NHL All-Star Weekend is you always see guys online saying that they could do better. I guarantee you that is not the case. Uh, do you think that someday... Definitely not. Yeah. Do you think that someday we'll see one of the Ice Ferns reaching the heights of like a top tier professional women's league in North America? Absolutely. I mean, we've already, you know, Grace Harrison, she she did a bloody good shot at that. We know that um, even with Ice Ferns this year, we've got um, Rebecca Lilly playing over in um, Austria. We've got Caitlin Hill leaving Czech. And um, so, you know, if that's happening now, who knows where they'll be in new girls coming through will be in like five years. You know, you saw Katya long she's mm. just amazing at under 18 so and she's only what i think she's 17 is she yeah so imagine her in a couple of years and if that's someone at 17 that went through the program that early imagine in a couple of years what the other young girls going through those programs will be like yeah well i mean by the sounds of it new zealand women's ice hockey is in uh really good shape thanks for your time bella make the most of uh that rookie experience and go well in south africa Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. There she is, Bella Vogel. And you know what I like, uh, Logs, when we talk to these people across all sports that aren't the high-profile sports, is the passion still burns within them to represent the country, and they'll do everything they can to do that. Yeah, totally. Uh, And their flight out of Auckland, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, was cancelled. But the Auckland players did get on a flight to Dubai today. But uh, unfortunately, they like to travel as a team, the whole team. They like to come together in Auckland and then fly out as one. They haven't been able to do that because of uh, Cyclone Gabriel. So it's going to be a bit of a split uh, preparation by the sounds of it. But can't wait to see them all get together in South Africa. Same here. Right, we'll have a quick break on the other side. Uh, all according to plan, Louis Hume and Water will answer his phone. He'll give us a love racing update culture covering your equipment parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field summer or winter he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa this is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ the loveracing.nz update your home for everything thoroughbred racing visit loveracing.nz racing's biggest fan Yep, love racing. NZ, your home of thoroughbred racing. My home of thoroughbred racing lives inside Louis Herman Watts' mind. Louis, welcome in. 
sappy, anyway. <laughs> All right. It's wet. I just, when I see rain, I think heavy tracks. What's happening on the racing scene locally? They've actually, we've actually dodged it, to be honest, for the bulk of it. We didn't have any meets other than Tauranga today, which has been moved to Cambridge tomorrow while it was abandoned. Um, although I'm just on Love Racing Bonnie's website right now, and it has said that they've abandoned Hawks Bay's meeting on Sunday. Mm. So, and that's probably not a shock. Um, they're just reading, while there is little doubt the track would play safe, safely, there are bigger issues, including road infrastructure access. You've got to think about where the horses are coming from. Mm. I imagine there's lots of people and lots of farms, uh, trainers that have had a tricky couple of days trying to predict the weather and keep their stock safe and Animal safety is obviously paramount, so I imagine it's been quite tricky. But on the actual racing front, we lost today's meeting at Tauranga, but that's all right. There's tri- trials and then racing on the Cambridge Synthetic tomorrow. We've got New Plymouth on Friday. We've got Ascot Park, Southland, Pukekohe uh, Park Saturday uh, for the Avondale Guineas and the Avondale Cup. And then Sunday now, Hawke's Bay has been abandoned. So that's what the calendar's looking like. It's tricky, isn't it, uh, trying to balance um, the wonderful industry that it is. And then, as you say, it's roading, it's access, it's welfare of horses, jockeys, trainers, owners, the whole shebang. It's a, it's a real juggling act. So what you've mentioned a couple of feature races coming up this weekend. Yeah, 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 and it is. You're so right, Steph. Like, the racing folk are so resilient, they're so loving and warm, but at the same time, eventually, in moments like this, sometimes you just can't, cannot carry on. But Avondale Guineas, Auckland Cup, Avondale Guineas is the great lead-up race into the Derby, Desert Lightning, Whitehack, Dynastic, Loose Spender, Devildom, really nice field there, proper Derby chances, and the Avondale Cup, um, Platinum Invader, you've got South Obsession, Dionysus, The Fools, Aquacade, who's the Auckland Cup favourite there, Get such a nice weight for Lance Noble and she's going to be so hard to stop I, I think whatever she's paying to win the Auckland Cup right about now is probably on the mark Perfect Louie, always good to catch up buddy, thank you very much Yes, Davu LoveRacing.nz, that is where the website that Louie gets his info from so you should as well, Thoroughbred Racing News the replays, the profiles, previews the whole lot, LoveRacing.nz TAB update coming up Smithy, this morning, probably for the rest of the week, as uh, Smithy gets his Havelock North situation sorted out, we're going to TAB, tab.co.nz or download the app, and it's the great, it's the wonderful, it's the irrepressible, inimitable, Pip Morris. G'day, Pip. What an intro, Stephanie. Good morning to you. How are you? I'm all right, mate. What, what are we looking at today? What's the big stuff? Start with basketball, of course. Uh, the popular power plays Booker George, twenty-five points or more, boosted to five dollars, has been really popular with the TAB. Also, a thousand-dollar bet on Drew Holiday, Devin Booker, and Paul George each to make three or more threes at eight dollars has been really popular. On the cricket side of things, there's been two six-hundred-dollar bets on the Black Caps up against England to be a draw at two seventy-five. And the best back head-to-head option currently to draw at 4.45. Of course, we have the NRL and the Super Rugby, not far away. Stephanie can tell you in the outright NRL market, it's still the Penrith Panthers, the most popular in that market at 3.75. I swear it's not my money. And the Super Rugby outright, Crusaders, 2.75. Then the Hurricanes at $7 have been on this popular on that second line of betting. And the Blues at 3.75 seem to be the three teams that punters are wanting in the outright market before it kicks off. 
Penrith can't do it again, Pip. I'm just telling you, they can't do it again. Just don't get excited. I think Colin Three's Daffy, you know? <laughs> I can get it one more, yeah, surely. I wish you all the best, you massive Penrith Pans, Panthers Nuffy, you. Thanks for joining us. Have a good afternoon. There she is, one of the Panthers' biggest fans. Pip Morris just absolutely loves them. I don't know if it's Penrith this year. I don't know. We'll we'll get into that as we get closer. Coming up to 11 o'clock and on the other side, we're going to be talking to Kane Pittman on the big NBL finals. They're just around the corner and they're live on SCNZ. Are experts in agriculture covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field? From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, there's a couple of basketball arenas that are going to be jungles over the next couple of days. We have the live commentary for you of both the Sydney Kings, Kent's Taipans and our very own New Zealand Breakers travelling to Tasmania to take on the interestingly named Jack Jumpers. But joining us on the show now is uh, Kane Pittman, he's basketball reporter, podcaster for ESPN out of Australia. Kane, welcome in. Thanks for having me. We're pretty excited this side of the ditch, and I want to talk to you about the breakers, Jack Jumpers, in a moment. Let, let's let's circle up the uh, the Kings and the Taipans. Um, Nine o'clock tonight, New Zealand time. Cairns Import, uh, Tajia McCall. Game time decision. Um, partial shoulder dislocation. I can sympathise with that. It's not comfortable. Um, what does their line lineup look like without him starting? If that happens. Yeah, it will be problematic against the Sydney Kings for defensive purposes, first of all, because he is an elite perimeter defender and they've needed those guys against the Kings through the season in terms of the way they're able to pressure defensively, create turnovers, but also an extra body. This is a physical Cairns team. And because they're already lacking uh, Keanu Pinder as well, they can find themselves in a little bit of trouble if they want to play that physical style, potentially some foul trouble issues there as well. So they they desperately need him uh, against what is, in my opinion, are clearly the best team in the league. Yeah, Kids also Kiwi interests when you talk to a Kiwi station. Um, Sam Wardenberg, he won the Next Gen Award for the best under 25-year-old player in the league. He's come to this league straight out of his college career with Miami. What makes him a special player for the Taipans? Well, he fits this team well because he can shoot the ball uh, very well from the outside. So the interesting thing with him, and first season in the league, so understandably was going to take a little bit of time uh, to acclimatise coming out of college. But when Keanu Pinder went down, Sam Wardenberg has been one of the big improvers for this team. He's got an increased role. He's got more responsibility on the offensive end. And Cairns, as a team, they don't necessarily shoot the three really well, but they've got full licence, full green light to shoot it uh, as much as they can. And that absolutely suits him. So we saw he had a big game. Uh, the other day as the Cairns Taipans were able to beat the Wildcats, he finishes well around the rim. And he's really a modern-day five. He can play that that floor spacing role. I didn't think it suited him early in the season when he was playing alongside Pinder and alongside 
uh, DJ Hogue. But now that he's got a little bit more responsibility, I think it actually fits the Taipans really well. You mentioned, and I tend to agree, the Sydney Kings are the best team in the league. They rested Derek Walton and Xavier Cooks in the last week of the regular season, but they've also lost four of their last six games. Should they be worried, or is this sort of a, a planned um, surge towards the playoffs for Kings? Yeah, I wouldn't be too worried. I think it was an interesting situation, though, when you are pretty comfortably at the top of the standings. There was a couple of guys there that were battling a few little uh, injuries, Xavier Cooks, namely with some ankle stuff that he's dealt with uh, through the season. And he actually injured that ankle the first time in New Zealand when they played the Breakers earlier in the season. So uh, they were in a difficult spot where maybe winning wasn't the absolute priority over ensuring that these guys were healthy entering the postseason. The interesting thing for them, they are playing tonight, obviously the Cairns Taipans. They haven't played for a week and a half. Is there an opportunity for the Taipans to, to make a quick start in this game and the Kings maybe be a little underprepared? They don't think so. They don't think that's going to be the case. But in a short series, only three games, it does not take much for a team to get another one on the back foot. Adam Ford won Coach of the Year. In fact, he flogged it off Modi Moore. Come on now, be honest. <laughs> Modi, should, Modi should have got it. What are you guys thinking? Um, but it is a battle of the coaches. Uh, Chase Burford, he was also nominated for that. Who's got the tactical advantage in the coaching box? Yeah, it will be interesting. So as I went back, and, and the Cairns Taipans actually beat the Sydney Kings two out of three times this year. And the one time that the Kings beat the Taipans was, win a, was with a game-winning three at the puzzle. So the Taipans have had some success. But as I went back and looked at those games, I think the Kings would feel pretty comfortable with how they defended the Taipans. Cairns shot a lot of threes, 118 threes across the three games. And it was very much a, a blueprint for the Sydney Kings. They don't want you shooting at the rim. They want you shooting threes, but not just any threes above the break. They don't want you shooting from the corners. And then they're happy to give away um, some mid-range stuff. And that's exactly what they did. The thing that was surprising to me and that the Kings will probably walk away and feel okay about was the fact that the two games that Cairns won, they scored 83 and 94 points. That's usually not going to be enough to get it done with the Sydney Kings. But the problem was the Kings had 54 turnovers across those three games as well. So I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers out there, but the point is that I think that the Kings would have walked away from those three games and still feel pretty comfortable with the matchup, particularly defensively and particularly with Keanu Pinder not in the lineup for the Taipans, who was a big factor. Xavier Cox, uh, as long as he's, he's probably not going to be 100% healthy, but if he's on his game, um, I almost feel like it might be too much to say because he's 10% of the players on the court. Um, the fortunes of this match live and die with Cooks. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And particularly, as I mentioned, because they have had some offensive struggles at times through the season. And we set a very high bar uh, for this Sydney team. But he makes everything go. He sets the tempo. He grabs the rebounds. He pushes in transition and he facilitates. You look at the other two MVP finalists, whether it's Mitch Creek or Bryce Cotton, they're getting you 23, 24 points a night. That's not necessarily the way Xavier Cooks plays, and I think that's why it can be a little more difficult to, to just look at the stat sheet and say, well, okay, well, how is this guy an MVP? But he controls everything, and defensively, he's probably the guy that's going to match up on DJ Hogue, who had 32 points on Sunday against the Wildcats. So I would agree. I mean, he's the best player on the best team in the league. 
uh, they need him to be healthy and, and have a big night. Uh, let's go to 9 o'clock New Zealand time tomorrow night. The Breakers and the Tasmania Jack Jumpers live here on SCNZ. Um, Tasmania, uh, not a happy hunting ground for the Breakers on Boxing Day. They they got beat by 10 or 11 points there after they bounced back from that COVID outbreak. What have you seen from the Breakers that, that could suggest grand final ticket booked tomorrow night? Yeah, defensive dominance, particularly in this matchup over the Jack Jumpers. It's funny you mentioned that game on Boxing Day, but uh, as you pointed to, that was the first game they'd played in three weeks. So I'm sure if you ask New Zealand and you ask Modi Mayor, he's not scratching that game and throwing that game away, but I am. They hadn't played for weeks. It was, it was, not, it was not a good matchup. And if you look at the other four times these two teams have played, the Breakers have dominated, and the Jack Jumpers have not been able to score. Now you add in... The, the added loss for the Jack Jumpers of Josh Majet, their import point guard, being out of the lineup. And, and I just am trying to find a way how Tasmania are going to score against this team. In those four losses, they've scored 65 points, 62 points, 68 points on the weekend, and 76 points. They have not been able to break down this New Zealand defense. So what do they have to do different? They lost by 20 points in game one, which is a shellacking when you're thinking it's a playoff game, so it's the best of the best going up against each other. 20 points. Uh, Scott Roth has got his work cut out to get them up, hasn't he? He has, and it was interesting. And, and look, we, we all, I think everyone loves Scott Roth, and in the post-game uh, press conference, he was not uh, giving much away. And he said, look, I think we've got some pretty good looks. We're feeling pretty confident, just going to knock down some shots. Again, over those four losses, which is what I keep pointing to, they've shot 23% from three. So they have not shot the ball well. So, look, this is pretty simple stuff. But if they start to knock down some threes, that will help them straight up. But I would almost, and this goes against what Tasmania is all about, and I would bet that they're not going to do it. But if it was me, I think they just need to have more offensive weapons in the starting lineup. I would start Jack McVeigh for Matt Kenyon. I would start Isaac White for Jared Weeks and just try and find a way to score against this Breakers team because... Uh, it, it, we saw Milton Doyle, who was a first-time, uh, first-team All-NBL player. They had the 18-year-old Rayan Repair, who did an unbelievable job defensively, and Doyle only got nine shots up. That's not enough. This Jack Jumpers team, the problems for them all start on the offensive end. So, it's an unfair thing, but I always like to get you experts to get your crystal ball out. <laughs> Grand final time. Um, most people over here think it'll be Kings Breakers. Could you see it being anything other than that? Not really, no. And and look, the, the Taipans could stretch the series against the Kings to three games. Uh, but I, and, and look, I've been wrong before with the Jack Jumpers. I think anyone that's made predictions about the Jack Jumpers has been wrong. So I should be careful saying this. <laughs> but if I had to make a bet, if I had to make a bet, I, I think New Zealand's getting the job done tomorrow night. I think they're winning in two games. They're going through to the grand final. And I think that they will make the Kings. And as much as I've said that I think Sydney is the best team in the league, and I do think that they are, I came across... To New Zealand. It was my first ever trip to New Zealand for the Sydney Kings game earlier in the season. I thought it was a a, a a pretty dominant performance by the Kings, but the Breakers defensively showed some stuff, and I think that that really are the two best teams, and that is a series. If you have no if you have no team, that's a series you should be going for because I think it could go four or five games. Brilliant, Kane Pittman. Really appreciate your time and your insights, and uh, we'll chat when uh, just before game one of Breakers Kings. Beautiful. Look forward to it. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Kane Pittman there, basketball reporter, podcaster. He's out of Australia. He's with ESPN. And as I say, the Kings and the Kings Taipans are live on SENZ tonight from 9 o'clock. 
And tomorrow night from 9 o'clock, and that's game one, by the way. Game two in the Breakers Jack Jumpers series is tomorrow night. Of course, the Breakers are up one. Uh, 9 o'clock tomorrow night on SENZ. Um, very much looking forward to both those games. I love the pointy end of a long season once you get down to the cream of the crop. Yeah, I might be pretty tired come Friday. <laughs> when you have those uh, 9 o'clock, 9.30 starts, and uh, the, the ball game will be over about 11 o'clock. I like to be in bed by 9.30 normally. Do you? Yeah. Do you have a warm cup of milk before you go to bed or something like that? <laughs> no, I don't go that far, Some mate. I don't ru- go that far. A rusket? What are, the, what, are those kid, what are those kids' teething things called? Rusk? Rus- oh, um, yeah, I think it's something like that. Yeah. Rusk? A rusk. Is it rusk? Yeah, I don't know. I met your daughter yesterday for the first time. What a little champion she is. What an absolute little champion. Yeah, and uh, any sport that she sees on TV, it's either hockey or basketball. That's the only two sports that exist in her mind. And she discovered a spinning chair in the office yesterday. First time she'd seen a spinning chair, I think. She's quite intrigued by it. Yeah, and love the boardroom. Love the boardroom. All the spinning chairs in there. (laughs) There we go. That's uh, the next generation of swinks. Coming at you. Right, uh, we will take a break. On the other side of this, we're going to catch up with Andy Thompson. He is hosting the Rural Roundup from midday till one. Gosh, gosh, the rural sector has been hammered. So we will catch up with Andy, find out what he's got on his show between 12 and 1. And do remember 12 and 1 on the other frequencies will be McIver and 3 to 4 on all frequencies are running it straight. Variety Deluxe. We'll be back with Andy after this. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's now time, just 20 past 11, to hook up with uh, Andy Thompson, who presents our Rural Roundup show. Andy, welcome. And gosh, um, this weather is smashing city, country, town, village, the whole shebang. What have you got lined up between 12 and 1? G'day, Staffy. Yeah, mate. Um, pretty serious situation actually unfolding in rural New Zealand. Uh, now, that's not to underline or belittle anything that's happening in urban New Zealand as well in the towns, but the situation that is out there on the farms is quite a is quite a significant situation. Animal welfare is, of course, um, preeminent when it comes to farming, and so we've got situations of impassable roads um, powered down, which means cows can't get milked. And at this time of the year, that is a really, really serious issue. So uh, we're certainly looking at that. Um, And then, of course, um, there are a lot of other issues with stock losses as well. We know that there has been losses. We haven't yet got a handle on how many. So today's show, we're going to start off with Wayne Langford, who's the uh, chairman or vice president of Federated Farmers. He runs all the adverse events um, and rural health. So there's a lot of issues with that. And Douglas is Group Director Farm Source from Fonterra. So basically that's the farmer facing side of Fonterra. So we're going to talk about um, you know, which are the worst affected areas, what should farmers be doing um, as, as not just Fonterra suppliers but also um, other dairy farmers around the town. Neil Badup is the um, Chairman of the Rural Support Trust. This is an incredible organisation run by volunteers who support rural New Zealand in times of adverse events, uh, whether it's uh, floods, whether it's droughts, whether it's mental health issues. So we're going to be talking to him. Uh, catch up with Todd Muller, who's the National Party's climate change and agricultural spokesperson. And then um, a bit of a yarn with Blair Shortall. Now, he's the National Key Account Manager for FMG. Guess who's going to be pretty busy coming up, staff? The insurance companies. <laughs> well, I was just <laughs> saying to someone this morning, what's going to happen to our premiums? My, oh, my. Yeah, look, he's got some really good advice. And, and what I said to Blair, I said, hey, mate, 
this isn't about FMG. This is about the insurance industry in general. What should people be doing? So this is news you can use whether you're on uh, rural New Zealand or you're actually in, in any of in, in the any of the urban townships. So um, what do you do? Where do you start? Um, what are the key things to do? So we're going to talk to him about that. Phil Duncan from weatherwatch.co.nz. And at the end of the show, I'm going to talk to a lovely lady, wonderful lady who I love very much, Julia Jones. She's the chair of the Meet the Need organisation. Now, if you're like me, staff, you're sitting here, I'm in a glorious day on the west coast in Greymouth. The sun's shining, we've had a fantastic temperature. I'm feeling completely helpless. Mm. What can we do mm, outside great. of the disaster areas as farmers, uh, as members of the public? What can we do to support? So Julia's going to give us a fantastic way to do that on the show. So we've got plenty coming up, actually. Go to the Rural Roundup Facebook page. I don't know if you've seen that. I've got a photo on there that I shared from one of the equine pages. It's got a photo of a completely destroyed shed with a horse standing on the top of the I shed. I just saw that five minutes ago. Unbelievable. How do you get a horse on the top? Well, you can see the tide mark, right? You can actually see how it got there. It's right beside a stop bank, and you can see the high tide mark. There's a horse standing on the top of the shed. question is, how do you get the horse down, mm. for starters? God. And I, I was know. just thinking, Andy, too, like the number of roads and slips and um, terrible up in the Coromandel. But I'm thinking in the rural community, there's just country roads that they're going to be low priority because they're going to try and get the state highways up and running and main arterial routes up and running. And some of these farming roads and country roads, and I used to do farm insurance back in the day, Andy, believe it or not, they're going to be a long time from getting repaired. You're exactly right, Staffy, and that's going to be the issue. Multiple slips. What will happen, though, is the farmers will get out with the heavy machinery and the gear, and they'll get them going enough to get their tankers up. I was talking to a farmer yesterday who was out with a chainsaw and the tractor, and multiple poplars had fallen down on his, on the roads um, into into Northland onto his farm. You know, so. But you're right. There's going to be some slips and some damage that on some of these farm, some of these secondary roads that are going to take a long time to prepare. When I mean, we've already seen the Coromandel, as you said, you know, State Highway 25. I think think it is that massive slip well that will only be worse now and that's just one example of what's literally going to be hundreds and hundreds of slips on these roads you know if you're talking about Gisborne the east coast you're talking about Hawke's Bay then up into the Coromandel and Northland I don't even know where we start Mm. on this stuff this is going to be a monumental cleanup here's the scary thing staff Cyclone Gabriel was a category two out of a category of five so it could have been worse, believe it or not. Yes, I know. Andy, um, you got a really good show. It's a really important one, particularly at times like this. So 12 to 1, um, all the best with it, buddy. You've got a great uh, set of guests to come on. Thanks for, thanks for jumping on with me, though. I'll let you carry on prepping for your 12 o'clock show. Thanks, Daffy. Talk to you, mate. Thank you. There is Andy Thompson, a really important show, particularly for the rural sector and, and for us townies to understand what's going on for them as well. Uh, the rural show, 12 to 1 every Wednesday. We'll take a break and we'll come back. On SCNZ. Righto. Do you think you can stump me? I do. Do I think I can win? I don't. Free money. Free TAB money. Ring God, us. Back yourself, Staffy. Back yourself. Oh, look, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. But Brian and you, you make it just so bloody impossible for me to win. 0800 Have a little ripple at it. Go on. Free money. We'll do it after the news. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, welcome into Stumped here on SCNZ Mornings with... Mark Stafford, while Ian Smith is uh, 
dealing with everything that's going on in Hawke's Bay. We're thinking of you, mate. It was lovely to hear from you last night. Not sure if you're even able to hear the radio station. Hopefully you can. But before we even get into Stump, Steph, I don't know if we can continue on until we address something that you just said before. We're talking about the Halberg Awards. Yeah. I re- I want to see uh, Nico taking taking the honors. You going for Aaron Gate. It's a bit of a what's what's a uh, a tougher achievement winning at the Commonwealth Games or the Winter Olympics? One medal at the Winter Olympics, four golds at the Commonwealth Games, competing for hours and hours and hours, and I would suggest cycling's a harder sport to win in. <laughs> I feel like uh, your months of working with Nepias uh, rubbed off there. His <laughs> love of cycling. No, I've always, I've always loved cycling. No, look, that's the thing. Our nominees are all tremendous, and I'm not going to be bitter with anything because they're all tremendous. Yeah, it is. Some of those categories are... Very Tough. hard to pick. I think the only one we can lock in is the Black Ferns winning team of the year. Other than that, I've got no idea the rest. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But we'll get into the business of stump. We've got Go a $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. I'll give you the topic soon. But we're going to uh, Staffy's favourite part of the uh, country first. That's right. Get your uh, get your bucket on. I can't lose. You can't. If I lose, man, I'm a two wins. There <laughs> we go. That's right. We're going to Barry from Palmerston North. Come in, mate. Hey, mate. Hey, Staffy. How are you, buddy? Hey, my champion, Barry. How you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Have you managed to avoid the deluges in Manawatu? We, we, yeah, we, we, we got a lot of rain yesterday and a bit today, but no, you know, nothing like the rest of the, you know, North Island. Very lucky. Very oh. lucky. All right, and, mate. And I feel... I feel I feel for them all up, you know. I, I really do. All right, buddy. Let's find out what the categories are from Swings. Hey, hey I, I, I went and brought my green bucket this morning. At, and uh, a boy. <laughs> and a boy. Wow, he's come prepared. I love it. Uh, for those uh, listening at home that don't know how the game works, we have three categories to choose from today. If you get a question wrong, then it's over to Smith. Oh, not Smithy. Just keep reading the script. Right, I'm doing, I'm doing Anchorman. I'm doing Anchorman here. Just put something in front of me. I'm going to read it. Uh, if you get a question wrong, it's over to Staff for a chance to knock your bales off. Get out within the first two questions, and it'll go to the next call in line. Get dismissed on the final question, and we will jackpot to $100. Tomorrow, now Barry, the topics for you to t- for you today are Super Bowl Fifty Seven, the NHL, that's a bit of ice hockey, and the T Twenty Cricket World Cup. Ooh. Is that the, la- the, the, the ladies? Yes, the current World Cup. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take that, mate. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, <laughs> Steph. Oh, you look nervous, mate. Good luck. I think that's twice in the show you've almost let slip a word that might get you cancelled. Anyway, uh, first question for you, Barry. In the White Ferns' loss to South Africa, who top scored for the White Ferns? Uh, Divine. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. With a top score of 16 runs. It's not a great yeah, score. Back to bugger all, to be honest. Actually, I... I thought for a minute extras might have. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to fact check that because who knows? <laughs> wides, <laughs> yeah, wides were the winner of the day. All right, second question for you, Barry. Over the two games so far, who has scored the most total runs for the White Ferns? Ooh. Um. Ooh. 
I'm going to say Mandy Green. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I often wondered if Stumped, we'd introduce uh, the hint line, kind of like what they do on uh, Quizzy Dag. But, uh, Steph, over to you. Well, it's not going to be Susie Bates. I don't think it's going to be Sophie Devine, so I'm going to have to go Amelia Kerr. It is kind of hard to be the top run scorer when you get zero and zero. Amelia Kerr. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. And oh, that's the a good <laughs> Mealy Kerr is correct. 31, 21 and 10. My so, first one I've ever got. <laughs> well, you, you still won either way. Like I said, you've just uh, stumped Barry from Palmerston North. Sorry, so, Baz. So now we're going to... Much further south to the Invercargill and Lou, come in, mate. Yes, hi. How you doing? <laughs> uh, well, we're all right. We actually had a house in the 1984 Invercargill flood. Oh, that wow. we know about. That's pretty wild. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. How are you been following the uh, Women's T20 World Cup? Oh, yes. Okay, well, we'll see how you go. There's one question to go. $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs here. Which White Ferns bowler has taken the most wickets in the tournament so far? Uh, would it be Lee Tahuhu? Oh, I just, I want to give that, but the first name's not quite right. Leah, L-E-A. There you go. There's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Yay! So I wasn't sure if I heard Lee or Leah there, so I just wanted to um, double check. Yes, five wickets. She leads uh, the White Fern bowlers. So, Steph. Tremendous for Invercargill. Yeah, not so much for you. Run for council. Yeah. Run for council. Well done, champion. Thank you. Yes, mate. I'll put you back on hold, and Brian will have a chat to you. Yeah, Wow. I'm you, one from one. You one from one. Oh, I didn't get anything <laughs> wrong, so that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. I'll, I'll give you that. Tomorrow, though, I want to see a bit of effort. All right. We'll take a break when we come back. Chris Gibbs from the Hurricanes. Yeah. Covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Welcome back in. Um, we're going hurricane hunting. Gosh, they're aptly named at the moment, aren't they? Chief uh, is probably training in very familiar surroundings. Joining us now, part of the coaching staff, really important, the coaching staff of all the Super Rugby teams. Chris Gibbs out of the Hurricanes joins us. G'day, Chris. Hey, good fellas. How's pre-season? It's a very open subject, but you've been part of pre-seasons for a number of different types of campaigns. Do you always try and change things up to, you know, the element of surprise and freshness for the players to challenge them? And and, and what does that look like for this season? Yeah, look, you always got to um, you always got to be thinking outside the square to try and keep the boys fresh. Um, and this year's been no different. So. We've had a little bit of a change of approach normally um, in the pre-season, in the lead-up prior to Christmas or just after we've been a, a heavy hill-running team. Um, we do the LSNC boys and make the boys head up hills and bits and pieces. So we haven't probably done as much work in that this year, but we've sort of done a lot of work around our rugby and conditioning on the field, um, you know, and with the ball in hand, really. So, no, that's probably just the, 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 the change, but also, too, for us, we've had a change of venue now. Um, we've got a new training camp and a new training base, So, and that's actually brought, a, um, I guess, a, a sort of freshness to it as it, as it stands. It's a um, brand-new facility. It's awesome. So 
boys have uh, been able to hook into their work and shorten days up, and that's really good. Yeah, I know you're out at NZCIS there. I've been out there a number of times, and of course that's where the Phoenix are, the women's Phoenix, and a number of other teams. How's that? I've, I've asked Phoenix players that they quite enjoy training alongside sort of you guys, sharing ideas. Is that brought about another another dynamic away from rugby skills and all that sort of thing? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I just, you know, they're really good guys. The Phoenix coaches and players are awesome. And, um, you know, so we've been able to have good discussions um, and, you know, just talking different things. It's different code, but you can still sort of, you know, man management type styles and bits and pieces. You're learning a little bit about that. You know, we've had opportunities where um, we've needed, you know, physio here and there to fill in and, you know, the, the Phoenix boys have jumped in and, and done a job there for us. So, Look, Mark, it's it's a really um, awesome relationship that we've got going out here. We're coexisting really comfortably, and you know, like I say, they they train differently to us at different times and stuff like that. But it's good to have them on site, and they're good fellas. Um, new rules, shot clocks, set pieces. Um, I know you guys, most super franchises, get referees in to sort of do real time situations, so it's not quite foreign. But a lot of uh, changes and. Um, you know, I think for the betterment of the game, but it's up to you coaches and players to implement them and take it on board pretty quick. Has that been a challenge? Um, not really. Um, look, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's um, it's definitely for the better betterment of the game. Um, and again, no one wants to see five reset scrums in five minutes. You know, that's not what the game's about. So, anything to try and bring that entertainment up for the player uh, for the spectators is awesome. So. You know, having a having to set a scrum within thirty seconds is it's very doable. You know, um, and you just got to change your mindset to it, and that's kind of what we've been focusing on. So, you know, the boys getting 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 up and getting excited for the scrum, um, and just getting it set. And same with the lineout. You know, I think it'll be good just to try and speed the game up. Uh, you got a dilemma with first five, a very pleasant dilemma with Aidan Morgan, Ruben Love, Brett Cameron. Um, is Ruben Love in sort of the the ten jersey frame, or do you see him more as a fifteen? Um, I think. Well, the, the beauty about Rubes is he can play both, can he? And mm. he's, um, he's a pretty pretty talented athlete. So, look at the moment, um, he's sort of sitting in and around that um, ten fifteen role, as opposed to probably more fifteen ten. So, again, there's a wee bit of water to go under the bridge there in terms of where he's at um, and what we need as a team. So, you know, Alfie and Tyler and Corey are working hard on that every day. So, you know, where he ends up, we're not 100% sure at this stage. Uh, Dane Coles, a lot of teams always look for maybe a little bit more inspiration. He's such an incredible servant, an inspiration, a leader, and the knowledge. And, and I respect him for coming out early to say this is it for him this season so he can put all that behind him and concentrate on the rugby. Um, as a coaching staff... It's a good little carrot for you guys to say, let's put Colsey out on on a win. It's not something Colsey will request, but I know the players will want to all get him behind him and have a have a good season. Yeah, look, mate, he's a, he's a, just a wonderful man, and he so um, you know, like he's got a lot of respect, a lot of mana in this team, and you don't even have to. We don't even have to talk about sending him out. That's you know that that's going to be mm. um, deep down for the players. So. You know, it's not something that we've talked a whole lot about. Um, and like you've said, he's not the type of guy that wants to be front and centre. So look, we've just got to, you know, let the, the, the rugby do the talking for us and, and the results. Um, and then we'll respect the way that he exits once we get there. Um, but look, he's just a, he's, like you say, he's been a wonderful servant and 
he's an outstanding hurricane. Um, you know, so yeah, no, we want to do it right for him. Hard on sleeve players. We've talked about Colsey. They don't get much more willing and enthusiastic as TJ Perinara. When I was down at your training centre about a month ago, there was TJ by himself on the Watt bike, giving it death in a moon boot. And I thought, TJ Perinara, if there's anyone who's going to get back in time from this Achilles, it's him. He's got his whole day shortened down into hour blocks. He knows what he's doing exactly every hour of every day. He's inspirational in your group. Mate, he, he's, um, he is working every angle he can, every, squeezing every minute out of every day to try and get himself back quick. Um, and progress is going really well for him. Um, like you say, he's a, he's a, you know, he's a total athlete, um, professional, and he does it. And he's got a great support crew around him, um, you know, from a medical perspective. And, you know, um, look, I think he works, he works hard, so it won't be a surprise to see him back out on the field, hopefully, sooner rather than... Uh, been anticipated. A couple of players I wanted to ask you about. Um, Julian Savia. Just the only thing with Jules is he's probably lost a little bit of speed, but I almost think more valuable for him was the time away in France. His rugby now has really picked up. The early days of Julian Savia was catch, barge, on the bus, get out of the way, I'm fast. His rugby knowledge seems so much better now, Chris. Yeah, he he absolutely is. He's got he's a pretty influential part of our defence strategy group. Um, so he works close, closely with Corey um, around some of those things. And look, the, the, the information that he chucks into the circles at the end of trainings or during trainings is just massively valuable for the lads. You know, so you know he's he's um, I think from his you know all the experiences he's had, um, he's really he's really leading in the way that Jules does and. You know, he's backing up his actions. You know, he's backing up his words with actions, and he's demanding of others, which is exactly what this young group needs. So, you now he's he's leading really well, um, and like I say, his, his rugby knowledge is definitely growing. So that's cool. One of the good things about the depth of squad over the Hurricanes the last few years, and I remember back to uh, Callum Gibbons, who sort of had three years wider reserve bench, and but he, he got himself into the Hurricane system and he became a very good Hurricane. I'm looking at players like, and excuse my Manawatu favouritism, but Braden Yossi, TK Howden, Tyler Loebscher, they've been in your environment. Are you expecting some of these guys to sort of burst onto the scene and Try and, and even succeed in demanding a starting spot. Yeah, that's absolutely what we expect from them, um, and they're clear in what we want from them. Um, you know, and, and we've got really good competition. Um, but you know, TK Braden used those guys as examples. Um, that they're doing everything possible for them for us to select them. You know, they're doing exactly what we have expected and, and asked them to do. Um, you know, and they're, they're nailing it. And I think both of those guys have really growing um, as men, um, as leaders within our group, um, and they're, you know, they're definitely matured. So I think they're, they're two guys that definitely we're expecting a fair bit from. Um, Tyler Lobshire is, is still coming back from injury, um, but again, he's, in, he's like TJ. He's in here every day doing as much as he can to get back. So, yeah, no, we've got good depth. Thanks. It's going to be massive competition, a few headaches for the coaches, but uh, it's what you want. How's Whopper fitting in? Jamie McIntosh. Outstanding. He's made a massive contribution to this group already and um, just the way he is as a bloke. Um, boys are really connected with him. 
Um, he brings, you know, fresh thoughts, fresh ideas, which is always good. Boys get sick of hearing my voice all the time, so it's good <laughs> to have to have you know, to have Whopper um, chucking, you know, his stuff around. And mate, he's in fantastic nick. He could probably still play, you know. So he's out there mixing it up with the lads, and you know, like it's just it's just great having someone um, that come, has come in with as as much energy as, as Whopper has, and it's just really wants to do a good job for the lads and you know um, and he's like I say he's, he's nailing it at the moment it's cool Brilliant Chris thanks for your time today wish the Hurricanes well Yeah good man thanks David Cheers eh? Cheers buddy Chris Gibbs uh, part of the coaching setup from the Hurricanes they're, first, uh, they're playing at 5 o'clock at the Levinda Main on Friday for the locals in and around Wellington Palmy Levin um, 5 o'clock at Levinda Main against the Crusaders so go and have a little bow peep at that in their first competition game Going off memory, the Reds. I think it's the Queensland Reds.